Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. New host to this. Oh, I hate that. Hey, Gunts, it's the Greasy Threesome from Page 7 here to talk to y'all about our upcoming New York first ever live show. My name is Jackie Zabrowski. My name is Molly Neffel. And my name is Holden Gucci McNeely. You are far too old to say that, BTW. Y'all know we got a new boy up at our sleepover, and it's time to lock him in the bathroom and make him say Bloody Mary. We're not going to traumatize him just because he's new. Joke's on you. I love being locked in the bathroom. You're a monster. But guys, the first ever brand spanking new Wizard and the Bruiser and Page 7 live show is coming up soon. We would love it if you would join us at the Bell House in New York on June 9th. We are going to put on a bit of a doozy show for y'all. We've been wanting to do this for a long time and I'm super excited to meet all you guys. So join us for our debut and be the first to peep on the live show experience. Mosey on over to New York. Come on, help us kick this pig. You can grab tickets in the show notes of today's episode. Come on, you know you want to come sing with us. I have never sung a day in my life. My life is mirthless. Let the great experiment begin. Hey, everybody, it's your, uh, were you the Onion Knight last week, last week? Lord, I hope so. I love that man's crisp Irish brogue. Well, I guess you're the Onion Knight this week. I'm going to tell you something straight, and I'm going to tell you something good, Jon Snow. You can fight a man, but you can never kill an idea. I Also, I learned to read last season. I'm the sexy fire witch, and, uh, wizard, oh. Oh, Melisandre. Oh, I hate you so much. You I'm ki- the sexy you fire fucking killed witch, my, my reading tutor. Oh. Oh. Watch me give birth to this shadow baby. Oh, oh I hate... Oh. 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 I told Stannis you were a foot, you were a winch, you were in it for the clout. Bet you never seen this on TV. <laughs> oh. 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 Wow, that took a lot of CG artists to fully realize. Daddy? Are you my daddy? We deleted the scene where the shadow baby had a cute voice. All right, Onion Night Bruiser, Melisandre Wizard. We've established it. Fuck, Jake is dead. I'm talking like this now for the rest of my life. I'm the king. I'm the king. The shadow baby king now. Um, Welcome, everybody, to part two of our coverage of HBO's Game of Thrones. And oh my god, well, let's just jump into it. I have way too much shit to talk about. Can when we... we last left. Oh my god. When we did, actually though, we should say, when we last left off, we did talk about the filming. Um, and we were just getting into the visual effects aspect of the more pro- post-production side of things. And so, yeah, 
let's let's get right right in there because I have too much shit, Jake. Mm-hmm. Um, I was literally like my eyes glazed over at one point putting together the material for the show. You warged into another podcaster. I warged into another podcaster. I warged. Yeah, I started uh, uh m- learning facts about serial killers, and then I <laughs> unwar. I was like, ah, oh, no, no. Oh, okay. All right, fine. I'll do a little more work on this. Um. So, uh, for the visual effects, at first they used British-based Blue Bolt and Irish-based screen scene for effects in season one. Of course, they didn't have as much to deal with in season one. Maybe just the um, the dire wolves. Maybe uh, they they didn't really the the, the 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 dragons were what the dragons get born by the end of season. Yeah, it's one, like right? the last shot is that's, an actual teeny dragon. That's probably like everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Although, and they and they just borrowed the scene from a uh, Jurassic Park with a little. <laughs> that would be hilarious. It just. Popped in, it's just like removing the little pieces of egg from the dinosaur. It's like, where'd Laura Dern come from? <laughs> <laughs> Laura Dern, the breaker of chains. <laughs> um, the those whatever the fuck happened in that first season, getting those direwolf effects was so traumatic that like one of the first things they did to veer away from the books is they minimized those dog wolves as quickly as possible. Oh yeah, for sure. It was almost like they were just every time one of them died in the books, they were like, yes. You know what I mean? Because you had to use like Irish wolfhounds and like Inuit sled dogs that aren't yeah. like they aren't golden retrievers. You can't train them that easily. Right. Then you had to CG them on top of that. Ugh. It was apparently a nightmare. I, I get it. That's why. the And then the dog didn't get pet. And then the world cried about it. And then they let him pet the dog in the finale, which we've seen now. We are now two human beings that have seen the finale as opposed to Jake and Holden from last episode that had not seen the Game of Thrones finale. And um, I'm pleasantly pleased, by the way. We can talk about it more later. But uh, And how do you feel? Uh, it's fine. On the color scale of green to maroon? It's, oh, definitely mauve. <laughs> uh, perfect. So, yeah, I agree with you. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm cool. I'm not like, <laughs> you know, I wasn't like, yeah, I wasn't like cry cry or anything like that, but I was like, okay, thank you, thank you, just go away now, please, so people <laughs> stop talking about you meanly. There was a, <laughs> there was a really good thing where like Dan Olson, who's uh, uh, is on YouTube as Foldable Human, put a thing on Twitter where he like did the Animal House like text credos at the end of each character, like giving them better endings than what was ah, laid out. That's hilarious. And that was very satisfying. I need to watch that. Uh, so after season one, the effects became more complex. They moved effects over to the German-based Pixomondo studio. Uh, this is an international visual effects company with studios in L.A., Frankfurt, Stuttgart, Vancouver, Beijing, Toronto, and Shanghai. It employs over 650 people worldwide. It is a huge... I've never heard of them before either. Well, um, you know at the end of a Marvel movie where you see like a million names from yeah. like a million different effects houses? Because yeah. in order to get them done within a year, you have to like give each scene to a different effects house it's uh-huh. a, it's one of those places one of those spots it wasn't until uh or it was a studio started in 01 rather by Thilo uh Kuther uh, creating effects for ad clients like Porsche but it wasn't until 2005 that it moved into the entertainment biz on a German TV show and their work on the film The Red Baron is what actually got them international recognition uh they won the Academy Award for best visual effects for Scorsese's children's film Hugo uh which is a beautiful uh effect wise film yeah. <laughs> absolutely gorgeous um and they retained a team of 22 to 30 people which focused solely on visualizing Daenerys Targaryen's dragons with the average production time per season of 20 to 22 weeks. So, you know, 
22, 30 people just on dragons. The dragon team, which would be pretty cool. It was a really funny moment in uh, the early creation of the dragons where they used a chicken from a nearby grocery store for inspiration. This is what Sven Martin, the visual effects supervisor, had to say. I was looking for an animal so we can really discover how the muscles underneath should work. I called over all the animators and they all had to just play with the chicken. You could feel how the muscles underneath were moving and what are the restrictions. Where the bone can't go. We built our dragon basically the same way. So I just would love to see a bunch of nerds crowding around a, de- a skinless dead chicken just going like, ooh, just like weirdly massaging its bones and, and yeah, studying always, its meat. This is going to sound very weird, but, uh, you know, if not now in front of a microphone for tens of thousands of people, why not? Uh, I've always noticed that the dragons in Game of Thrones have prominent breast meat. Yeah, they do have prominent breast meat. And now that I know they were chicken inspired, I yes. was like, oh, that makes sense because you got you need that slow twitch to flap the wings. Hundred percent. And and they also, you know, they they definitely use Jurassic Park as an inspiration as well. Which of course, it, you know, Jurassic Park, the whole book is based on the fact that like they derive dinosaurs derived from birds or were more bird like, uh, which is probably what got him to go get the chicken in the first place. Martin also said this about how they approached the dragon stuff. Our main approach was to not make the dragons too fantastical and too design driven. The idea was always just to keep them grounded in reality. So the functionality of the body should be always visible and present. Uh, And as time went on, they ended up moving past chickens to other animals for inspiration. And this makes a lot of sense. They wanted them to to appear like guard dogs, which I really do get that sense around season maybe three or four. I can't remember when they really start getting big enough that they have to be like fed entire like cows and stuff mm. like that but when it gets to that point they really do act like that they're just they have this protective quality and that you know they kind of it, it move around almost dog-like in certain ways as well um so yeah and and uh, like i said drew inspiration from jurassic park martin said it was important that they have a big difference between their demure pose when they're just calm near Daenerys, but very aggressive with a big show off when there was someone attacking their mother right Mm -hmm. you did get that sense like you always felt like Daenerys was safe Mm -hmm. they 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 always gave you that feeling of like she she they're never gonna be weird with her and and but they're always going to hover over her and really. I think the her. best example of that is uh, during the uh, when she gets the whip for the unsullied and like trades off uh, Drogon, and like Drogon's like flapping like a scared chicken, being like, <laughs> but then you know she her face gets like real serious and she just goes like, I speak Valerian the whole time, you idiot, Jacaris, <laughs> and like all of a sudden this like what was this weird chicken thing yeah. becomes like a flying death machine. Totally, totally. It's good. It's good. The it's quality good. dragon animation. Mwah, spicy dragon meatball, huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but let's move off of the visual effects and the dragons and all that business and talk about that opening theme. You know it. I don't need to sing it. You know it. Okay, I, I used to, to sing, sing along to it uh, at various comedian gatherings where you'd all go to the one friend who had their shit together enough to have a decent living room with a good TV. Of course. And uh, I would just start going, uh, dragon, lion, wolf, and deer, dragon, lion, dragon, <laughs> lion, wolf, and deer. I mean, it was always for us. It was throne song, game of thrones song, <laughs> game of thrones song, game of thrones song, game of thrones. 
Uh, but either way, uh, it was composed by uh, Raman Jawadi, who also composed the music for the rest of the show and did an amazing job. He actually graduated from Berkeley College of Music and got in really good with Hans Zimmer, who did the music for Lion King, Dunkirk, Pirates of the Caribbean, and 150 other films. A prolific career on, I mean, on Hans everyone's Zimmer. familiar with Hans Zimmer because of the uh, definitive boom. Uh-huh. That's in all of his that's it. That's his shit. So he got uh, Raman set up as an assistant to a man named Klaus Badelt. Klaus Badelt did music for Gladiator and Thin Red Line, and he started helping them with their scores. He also co-composed the music for System Shock 2. Why is everything go back to System Shock? How the fuck did I get to System Shock on a, Shock on a Game of Thrones episode? We should do an episode called Why System Shock 2 is Responsible for Everything for You Know. Everything! It's insane! <laughs> It's kind of incredible. I know. I I, I just I dropped my jaw when I saw it. I was like, <laughs> "Fucking forget Kevin Bacon. Everything is five degrees to system shock. You could do anything." I, as a game, we should be playing on the Facebook page. Um, it's ludicrous. So, anyways, he had his big breakout solo work on the first Iron Man film, uh, and again, um, I, not super necessarily memorable, but it was a strong soundtrack. Mm-hmm. You know. Benioff and Weiss wanted the main theme to be about a journey since there are so many characters and locales and travels in the show. They didn't want, I love this, they didn't want flutes and violins as that is pretty synonymous with past fantasy themes, especially... You know that one? I didn't know you could whistle. I could whistle. Why? That's most people could whistle. I mean, no, there's a difference between like kind of whistling and like being able to just like do it with the full song, right? With the whole song. Yeah. But you recognize that, though, right? I hope you were doing Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that was okay. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Jaw- no, it was Jaws. Oh, <laughs> right. But I think especially because of Lord of the Rings. But of course, so many. I mean, Princess Bride. I believe you oh, know yeah. so many fantasy. I mean, has, Ren Fair shit has a fit has a a flute. But it's kind of hilarious. Like everything's gonna have flute. Why? Why? Where did we make this decision? Because it's a it was a dainty uh, <laughs> instrument for a chivalrous time. Um, so instead, he went with the cello as the lead instrument, which had that darker, thicker sound that matched the Game of Thrones, the themes of the show a lot better, right? Mm. Um, so he was shown a rough cut of the opening sequence being worked on, which inspired him. He started humming what would become the theme in the car on the way home after seeing it, which is kind of amazing. He had the theme for the producer three days later, which is pretty wild to me. He switched back and forth from a major to a minor key to reflect the unpredictable element of the show. The so that's why right and that and that was trying to convey the element of backstabbing, conspiracy, everything switching on a dime. Totally works. Totally works. Um, after the opening melody evolves into a full chorus, it changes to a different melody to give a sense of adventure that repeats with a choir of twenty female voices recorded in Prague. Uh, that's beautiful yeah and uh, when are we going to talk about how they built a real life mechanical tiny city (laughs) that's right now jake (laughs) oh boy (laughs) um yes uh now let's talk about the title sequence it's so iconic i love it I, i you don't really get it in any other show where like the opening sequence is is a weird guide to tell you 
what we're where we're going to go and what we're going to be looking mm-hmm. at every time the fact that it changed every time this beautiful like moving diorama of stuff on its face it's like oh it's just like a map you know what i mean but at the end of the day it's it's it gives you oh we're going to go here oh look they they blew up the building like it did yeah, in the yeah, show yeah. Oh, stuff I love like that. that is so fucking cool and i love it um so this was designed by Angus Wall at Elastic a design firm that among other things creates title sequences for shows like Westworld and True Detective among many others they're like the go to and talk about iconic opening themes i would uh, Westworld is incredible their opening theme Tr- True Detective amazing opening theme <laughs> Wall's first gig, Angus Wall's first gig, was doing titles on David Adventure's Seven. Again, I feel like that is a pretty memorable opening to a film. Very intense. It caught the eye of HBO's head of scripted entertainment back in the day, who had him do the opening sequence for Carnival, which got him an Emmy. Uh, from there, he did Rome, he did Big Love, uh, and then, of course, later, Game of Thrones. Wow. all of The thing that all those share in common is, like, it definitely like keys you in that you're about to hear a way bigger story that you're only getting a chunk of. Yeah. It's like it's like reassurance that like no hey guys, no matter what happens this episode, trust us, there's something bigger happening. Yes. Even when sometimes it doesn't. Yes. So Wall had this to say about coming up with this sequence. Part of our initial pitch was to create unique journeys through the map for each episode that required them. So every season, when there's a new location added to the storyline, we get the initial concept art from production, and then we go to work. So it's kind of interesting, too. They don't get scripts, is what it seems to say here. They really just get this concept art, and they take it from there. So just these basic bullet point details about the worlds we're going to be seeing and going to, and that's all what they need. I remember like the excitement in like rushing through my body, where you're watching the opening segment, and and you finally see like oh shit they're going to the iron islands we're yeah. doing the iron islands yeah and like before, cool. especially as a book reader because these are yeah. places that only exist in your mind up until that right point. right very neat stuff i mean it's funny because like lexi already kind of does that in a lot of ways because she's really big on actors and she knows every actor's name and and so she uses the opening credits of most shows as a guide like oh cool they're in this episode awesome and especially with game of thrones with this massive cast mm-hmm. that you don't see everybody in every episode she would also be what we'd be watching the opening sequence but she'd also be like oh sweet aria's in this one yada 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 right um uh, did they do a thing where like you'd get the house sigil next to everyone's uh next to everyone's name uh-huh. actor's name and then they would like switch it if their alliances switched yeah i think i believe so. yeah yeah oh that's cool it's pretty sweet because there was worry that viewers would get confused. An idea was pitched that we would see an animated map sequence when we moved from Westeros to Essos in the show, like actual map transitioning happening. But that was dropped and moved into the title sequence concept. At first, Benioff and Weiss envisioned the crow, a crow's flight from King's Landing to Winterfell, but uh, Elastic felt that was too flat and created the 3D models within a sphere concept. Within the sphere to avoid the issue uh, of like what may be beyond the horizon of the map, mm-hmm. right? So that's why they put it in that weird like crazy sphere thing yeah. that, that it exists in. Um, Wall said uh, that sequence is a concrete function in the world of the show and that it serves as a legend the way the map at the beginning of a fantasy book orients you, which is so perfect, right? Because that is so useful to me. I remember especially in reading when I read Song of Ice and Fire, uh, particularly I was always going to that map, Mm. always using it as a guide to be like, where are we in the world? What's going on? You know what I mean? And well, just- the, yeah, the sphere thing and the the fact that the sun is this ringed like thing mm-hmm. going around, you know, it was literally a geocentric universe because this is medieval times. This yeah. is like, 
you know, this is a different world than what we're used to. The sequence changes depending on, of course, what locales we're currently operating, and we already talked about that. As per its specific look, that was inspired by the idea of a mad monk in a tower, keeping <laughs> track of everything happening in the world. Producer Greg Spence says... And creating as he went. He would then fashion little automatons out of the materials that would be available in his world. They would be stone or tin or wood, and everything would feel very handcrafted. You even have turning gears and cogs to be a nod, actually, to Leonardo da Vinci's inventions, uh, interestingly enough. But I think that works really well, because it does feel... It doesn't feel like um, a fancy CGI moving map right it feels like i get that sense of a person in a workshop creating this stuff right it feels handmade in this cool way that puts you into the world even more you know so that's uh the coverage on the opening sequence and song uh now let's move into what will be a lot of this episode uh there's just so many people to cover this show what what is game of thrones without its incredible cast of actors i think honestly though saying that cliched line it's so fucking true (laughs) this show would be nothing without everybody's so good like barely anybody's like not good Mm -hmm. you know what i mean I, i I don't think there's anybody in the main cast that I would consider, like, not amazing. Sometimes um, Daenerys falls a little flat for me. I mean, people, you could find YouTube compilations or something where, like, uh, you know, Peter Dinklage lets his accent slip. Or, Uh or, yeah, Amelia Clark like, doesn't, you know, where are my dragons? (laughs) Or uh, I love how Littlefinger just sort of adopted this bizarre accent. Like, he just became, he always talked like this after a while of doing the show. Like, I was like, I don't think... You used to talk like that, bro. You <laughs> um, still shaking off the cobwebs. He was in the wire, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, he's great in the wire. Um, he was in. He he came in during my favorite season of the wire, which is season three. We'll get to him. Uh, but I think we, if we, because this is a cast of hundreds, we have to start with the two actors that literally, you know, Benny Offenweiss. Just flat out said, like, if we can't get these guys, this project isn't going to work. Sure. Let's start with Sean Bean, then, as Ned Stark. He got his start on the stage, eventually becoming a member of the Royal Shakespeare Company in the mid to late 80s. By the way, most of these people got their start on the stage performing Shakespeare, believe it or not. A bunch of British and Irish and Scottish actors. Who would have thunk? And a lot of them also did this. After that, he was a notable BBC actor appearing in several shows. So you're going to get that, that uh, b- British television from the Shakespearean stage, uh, so a normal trajectory for the, a lot of these what actors. What made uh, Sean Bean essential for this is his upbringing in Yorkshire, which is a northern city. I guess Yorkshire is the county or whatever. Anyway, he's a Northman, basically, as yeah. close to, because if Westeros is England, then Yorkshire is the north. And uh, that accent, uh, you know, it was an industrial place that was on the decline. And uh, the, the stereotype is that, you know, uh, you know, the, re- the received English, the received pronunciation, uh, the BBC English, you know, London English. It's I mean, all these accents are shorthand for so many different ideas and things. And be- and it basically translates one to one to Westeros. So the Yorkshire accent is a is a working class accent. It is a no nonsense accent. It is a kind of uh, gruff and and all business accent yeah by having sean bean be ned stark it immediately reads to the audience that like this is not this is not a frivolous person this is not a uh, person concerned with uh, uh, appearances this is someone with a strict moral uh, compass and this is someone that does not suffer fools gladly 
Sure, but also there's this softness at, happening at the same time that gives off the f- sense of oh, but he is a compassionate father, you know, and he is and he is a home person. Like you need you also he also conveys I think a homeliness to mm-hmm. him that is so necessary for the king of Winterfell, you know, because Winterfell is like probably my ideal spot on the map personally, right? It's a little chilly. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, it's just really homey. It's in like a really foresty region. Just feels nice and cozy and just feels like my type of home i'm i'm an earth tone type of dude right uh to, for for lack of a better word uh, or phrase. no way i want to be in the fucking in the in the neck with all the weird swamp people <laughs> i'm a reed man i want to be there with the jojin and just hang out and just kill frogs with a tiny fork <laughs> so uh back to uh sean bean's earlier career he actually started out playing a lot of villains in movies like GoldenEye and National Treasure. Oh, yeah, Treasure. I forgot he was 006 in yeah, GoldenEye. he's like Mr. Villain Guy. And it's funny, he ends up really transitioning from villain to good guy literally in The Lord of the Rings as Boromir. Well, there was, he was, um, oh, fuck, I forgot the name of the show, uh, but as a younger, he was like this, like, I feel like a lot of these people kind of fall ass backwards into acting, but yeah, he was this, uh, he, he was a leading man at, at first when he was a younger guy. Uh-huh. He was like an athlete who like got into acting and therefore he ended up in like Lady Chatterley's Lover and had a bunch of nude scenes. He was like kind of a hunk okay. in his native England I believe it. Yeah. as a younger man. Um, He's strapping. I would, yeah. I would refer to him as strapping. Uh, he played like a, a rifleman in the Napoleonic Wars and was like an all, you know, like a proper British like hero. Uh, and a bunch of stuff. So it was weird that in America, he just like had this like gangster because again, that Yorkshire accent has like a little bit of menace behind it. It has a little bit of like an edge to it. Right, right, right. But yeah, it was Lord of the Rings is Boromir. It, it, it's, it's a fascinating role and it gave him, I think it, people looked at him after that role. Oh, this guy can play more than just these two-dimensional villain characters. This guy can really play a lot of depth. This guy can play nuanced villain. Nuanced <laughs> villain character, exactly right. But that really was what Boromir was. Boromir was such a one of the more interesting characters, I think, in, in as a whole in Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. He's it's phenomenally done. That final scene is absolutely beautiful. It just it's so tragic. His 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 arc is such a great tragic arc and hey he's really good at dying on screen uh which is definitely probably another reason why they cast him as ned stark um so many spoilers are gonna happen today so if you haven't seen the show and you want to see the show you may not i don't know but anyways we're gonna start the spoilers really soon here with um of course the fact that he got beheaded at the end of season (laughs) one so that is like one of the big first oh shit moments of this show uh where you realize that oh nobody's safe you know we thought this guy was going to go all the way he's like this main character he's the guy on the poster he's the guy on the poster and, oh this is one of the i guess we'll get into it if we talk about our favorite scenes but like one of the things that this show did so well was prime every television watcher for the hero moment like you know they set up uh anyone from like Oberyn Martell to Beric, Dond- Beric Dondarrion, where like you know our he- our characters are in a pinch, and then a hero arrives, and this is the guy who's gonna save the day. De- oh fuck! His brains just oozed out of his fucking skull. Exactly. He said that by the way before he never played a decent person before in anything. <laughs> 
Bean said of his performance, I tried to bring an honesty and a sympathy to Ned. He didn't know everything. He was vulnerable at times, and he didn't try to hide it that much. I just want to bring a person who had frailties and vulnerabilities, who was strong and courageous and honorable, but he also had these faults. I wanted to get them over at the same time so that the combination of all those emotions would make for a full, rounded, and interesting man. And he used his father as inspiration, who he greatly looked up to. Uh, his father ran a uh, fabrication shop. Ah, interesting. And oh, this was important that even though his family did earn enough money, uh, he, you know, they decided, you know, the beans decided to stay in his, uh, in his, uh, what, what do you call him? Shanty. Uh, no, they're like council flats or whatever. Cobblestone. Council thatch. estate. Public housing. They decided to stay in public housing. A thatchery. Because that's where all their friends were. <laughs> gotcha. Um, that's cool. That must be some decent ass public housing. Also, if you really want to get maximum Sean Bean, look up his commercials for a uh, train simulator. Awesome. <laughs> He's like the official voice of train simulator. And like, there's all these epic ads Perfect. from like the last couple of years where it's like, you're a man who decides what's right. <laughs> a man who loves what is important. You're a rail fan. That's right, a train guy. <laughs> Nobody's cooler. Nobody understands the spirit of Britain more than a rail fan. <laughs> than a raily. Yeah. Um, uh, so you mentioned before Benioff and Weiss, they had two people in mind before they even cast the show when they wrote the parts, and they pretty much would not have even wanted to do the show if those two people weren't cast. Sean Bean was one of them as Ned Stark, and the other is... Peter Dinklage. Peter Dinklage, who plays Tyrion Lannister, one of my favies. He's the best. Now, Sean Bean was a working man, uh, was from a working class family that uh, kind of got its fortunes reversed from uh, Yorkshire. While uh, what what British, what English county was uh, Peter Dinklage from? Morristown, New Jersey. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he was born in Morristown, New Jersey, to an insurance salesman and an elementary school music teacher. He was born with achondroplasia, which is a common form of dwarfism. He and his brother would perform puppet musicals for folks in their neighborhood. Um, I'm shocked there isn't more in here about getting bullied after said musicals were performed. Uh, his brother, by the way, a pro violinist who plays in the orchestra for the musical Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, so finding work at first, of course, was very tough for him because this is one of my favorite things about Peter Dinklage. He fucking refused to take these bullshit roles that they gave dwarf actors, I such mean, as he... elves or leprechauns or whatever. He decided he had laurels and he had, uh, you know, standards when it came to this stuff. And it was tough at first, but I think it worked out in the long run. Uh, it's, it's uh, you know, the, uh, the scene, I think, when he's uh, on trial for the murder of Joffrey and he says like you know I'm innocent of the crime I'm guilty of being a dwarf and I've been on trial for it my entire life I feel like everybody has the thing that they feel makes them different uh for me growing up it was my weight for other people it's you know you're 12 years old and your boobs grow too early or you know just everyone has the physical thing that limits them and puts them in a box that they wish they could escape and some people just accept it Mm -hmm. And Peter Dinklage has raged against this his entire life to the point where, like, even in modern interviews, even in stuff like uh, when he got a Golden Globe Award, he would he stopped his speech and was like, hey, like there was a fucking hate crime against a little person in England like yesterday. Fucking Google it. This shit is this shit serious. Yeah, he he he's uh, he had a quote saying, um, you know, he used to be really angry about it. Um and upset with himself when he was younger. But then he realized over time to, A, have a sense of humor about everything, and B, that it's actually everyone else's problem, not mm -hmm. his. And I think that's a beautiful way to put it. 
Uh, and I think that's it, it, his his strength of character is like an amazing thing to me. George R. R. Martin, I like this quote about why I think why we all love the character of Tyrion so much. Martin said, I think his wit is appealing. He gets off a lot of good iconoclastic cynical one-liners and those are fun to write. He's also a very gray character. All my characters are gray to a greater or lesser extent. But Tyrion is perhaps the deepest shade of gray, with the black and white in him most thoroughly mixed. And I find that very appealing. I agree with George R. R. Martin. Uh, I just love... He's so... Funniest, probably the funniest person in the cast. There's there's a couple of others. What's his name? I'll, I'll talk about him at some point, but the red-headed uh, uh, wildling um, guy... Is hilarious. Oh, uh, the, uh, the fucking Tormund. giant Tormund, the giant his, milk drinker. His actual, the actor's actual name is impossible to pronounce. Uh, I'll get to him. He's on here. I just didn't want to uh, frantically have to try and dig dig his name up because I have a lot of pages on these. Act- there are too many actors in this show. I'm just gonna go and say it but, for the purposes of our research for Wizard of the Bruiser. Far too many actors, and I would say maybe cut a few down just, but because of this episode. But I feel like one of the the biggest uh, turning point in uh, Peter Dinklage's life is when he moves to New York City to become an actor. <laughs> Look out, world! It's me, an actor with dwarfism, but I'm not going to take any demeaning roles. How do you fare? Uh, it took him a while. <laughs> oh, did he have to leave in disgrace because uh, he was locked out of his own apartment because he couldn't make any money? Yeah, because he kept refusing all the demeaning roles. But he eventually does end up uh, getting a breakthrough with the station agent, directed well, by so Tom he- McCarthy. Here's the thing: is that doesn't ha- he takes yeah. a six year break after he fails in New York? Mm. Like he gets a day job. I think it's either like telemarketing or like just just office shit. And like just by being like a mildly creative guy, he just hangs out with artists. And uh-huh. they kind of had one of those cool in New York, I think. But I believe they had one of those cool like artist flats in the shitty part of town where they'd host like poetry nights and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know they lived re- with rats. You know what I mean? Like kind of situation. He couldn't use. They couldn't use the oven because it was infested with rats. Yeah. Uh, you know, no heating, no cooling. Um. And uh, they only they wanted to form like this theater collective. Yeah, they yeah. wanted to do this cool thing, but they only got around to doing one poetry night. Yeah. Um, basically, they ended up just throwing house parties and charging at the door, and that was how they would make rent. Right. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so he like he couldn't do it. He couldn't pull it off. He ended up uh, he got that one role in the Steve Buscemi movie where he literally got to like give a monologue about how shitty it is being a dwarf actor. Uh, I think the famous uh, line is. Uh, he's like, uh, they keep wanting me to put me in like dream sequences because that's like weird, but nobody ever fucking dreams about dwarves. <laughs> like when was the last time you had a dream about a dwarf? Why is that always there? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Dreams are weird. Yeah. <laughs> but in every movie where you want to have a shitty trippy sequence, yeah. you hire a, is that Lynch? Did Lynch do that to us? I, maybe. I maybe that was just a Lynch, uh, the Lynch effect. Like, maybe. <laughs> I, I wouldn't doubt it. But um, yeah, uh, he he does end up finally through different things. I mean, uh, one of the best. Have you seen uh, Death at a Funeral? No. The British. De- you need to watch that. It is so funny, and he's great in that movie. He's so so damn good in that movie. And maybe that's also uh, what gave him, because he, I believe he has a British accent in that movie. So that may have actually been a lot of the reason. And he's very funny in it. Uh, a lot of the reason why he ended up getting, um, you know, being like a a must for them. 
when it came to doing uh, Game of Thrones. I I don't I don't know what else to say about Tyrion. Well, uh, it's um, when uh, Benioff and Weiss approached him, he made them a sh- they they were like you know they're like you're the guy we loved you in the station agent like you know this is a re- you know, this is a really complicated character. Dinklage was like. You better fucking promise me that you're not going to put me in pointy shoes yeah. and give me a Santa beard. Like, right, because it's still be a fantasy. Re- it's still, yeah. you know, it's still a fantasy film. And it's like, yeah, is this going to be like, well, like, is Willow, do you think he looked at Willow in a, in a negative light? I mean, I'm going to say, is this a hot take? I don't know. Willow doesn't hold up. That's like the most lukewarm take of all time. Okay. It didn't hold up when it was released. I just feel like for our audience, I don't know if people are going to come after me on Willow. Willow is definitely one of those movies that has enough like trippy, like pre-CG, pre-CGI special effects. Yeah. That it definitely burned itself into the psyches of a lot of our fans. But it's definitely like a crawl. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? It's just sort of like, what what is the mood of this film? You know, it's just kind of a bummer. Uh, with with no real twist and turn that makes it better. Also, uh, in the long-fabled um, Lost Pilot for Game of Thrones, the director of that was Tom McCarthy, who directed The Station Age. Oh, I didn't even think about that connection. That's amazing. Yeah. Dinklage did say this about his character. Bad guys are complicated characters. It's always fun to play them. You get away with a lot more. You don't have to a heroic code you have to live by. More fun to play the Joker than it is to play Batman, which I probably would agree with. No way, man. Except for now, it's not as fun to play the Joker because everybody hates you just because you're playing the Joker. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. Everyone hates you just because you're playing Batman in, in recent news. Yeah. Um, I think that is the funniest shit ever. We're getting way off topic with that stuff, but come on, give the man a chance. Yeah, get, Do you remember the comments when Heath Ledger got cast as, as the as Joker? Everyone was like, oh. A pretty boy. Ever. Hot takes need to die. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of the hate on Online, I'm, I, I want a crusade. Nice boy chat online. All right. Oh, okay. nice boy chat. Yeah. Oh, I get it. I get it. Oh, but yeah, but yeah. <laughs> oh, but yeah, yeah, Let's yeah. get back to talking about I his weigh four hundred pounds. <laughs> oh my God! You need. Please, we'll help you with that. My and, left arm went numb, but right now I just want everyone to know that I care more than you. I just don't want you to die. Let's get you some help. It's fine. I took pills. <laughs> what kind of pills? Ah, pills. <laughs> Whatever they got. Um, so now we're going to briefly move through the Starks uh, and different family members and stuff. I have to mention, I don't have a lot on her, but God, I love Michelle Fairley as Catelyn Tully. We'll get back to her when we get to the Red Wedding. We talk about great moments. She the was show. the second uh, Catelyn. Uh, yeah, she was. She was recast. Um she is a Northern Irish actress who started out on a bunch of British TV shows. She took over as Hermi- Hermione's uh, mother in Harry Potter of the Deathly Hallows. So she's really good at replacing people in shows and movies. Um, and yeah, she, as you said, replaced that actress. She has a warmth to her, a strength to her. I miss her. I like legitimately miss her in the mm-hmm. show. I loved her. She's one of my favorite characters in the books, one of my favorite characters in the shows. Oh, and what she's still- that's I know, and but don't spoil that for people. Don't maybe don't look. Also, well, book Catlin and show Catlin are actually like really different in a yeah, lot of ways. But they do with the book. I hope he doesn't just erase that or figure out some way to like make that not a thing. Because what they do with her after her death in the books, I'll just say is fucking cool as hell. <laughs> and I was all I was so excited for her in the show, and I was so sad that they were just like retconned that one that out of it. That seemed really fucking cool, what they were doing with her. But um, I kind of get it. Of all the things they did ad- adaptation-wise, 
that's one of the biggest ones for me where I'm just like, God, I wish you guys just did it. I get how that probably overcomplicated things and maybe also was just something that George R. R. Martin regretted doing back when he, you know, you know, in hindsight. But fuck Lady Stoneheart, man. Come on, give it. She's so good, too. That actor's so good. Anyways, I'll get off of it. Uh, also, another actor I haven't seen in a very long time on the TV show, Richard Madden, who played Rob, another Shakespearean actor who toured with the Globe's production of Romeo and Juliet as Romeo, of course. This led to BBC TV work, which led to Thrones. He was not too upset he got killed off early. He said, I was ready to go. That's five years of your life, which is another interesting thing as an actor. How long is too long to be playing a part? How long? What do you think? Um... How long did Tony do it? How long did uh, uh, Tony Stark, how long did uh, Robert Downey do it? Well, Robert Downey Jr. got paid, like, actual billions of dollars. That's true. <laughs> so. To, like, to make a movie, too, I feel like is a little less taxing than to make well, an the, entire s- series of a television. We don't have enough time to cover how, like, the Marvel Universe is the TVification of movies. Yeah, totally, for sure, but... But still, um, but he did it for what a decade, two de- two decade nine years technically, yeah, something like that. I'd say that's that's the sweet oh no, spot. ten years, ten years, solid ten, 10 years. years, yeah, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. I'd say yeah, that's the ma- ultimate maximum. I don't think I think that's it, right? Well, there, then there's the weird thing about theater where people will like bring back their famous roles. Like, yeah, after. that's weird. That's interesting. But then the, the, you get a gap. You get to just like sit on your ass and like read books get older be get a new perspective bring that to the character yeah totally um let's talk about one of one of my favorite characters in the uh book and show was of course Sansa Stark played by Sophie Turner Sansa I fell in love with in the books pretty quickly as as soon as I realized as I was reading the books oh this is the story of the downfall of the fairy tale princess this Mm -hmm. is the story of the perfect popular girl in high school uh actually having to like go you know to the city or whatever it is and get the you know get the shit kicked out of her to become this like awesome fucking strong amazing female presence on the show it's unfortunate i i i think it's, the it's, more and more i think about it i i i get a little more and more upset especially as it got like people construe the whole the the rape scene i feel like it's still mm-hmm. i'm kind of like do we need that because now it almost cheapens her journey a little bit you know it's, what In it's a, a complicated way. issue that i don't feel qualified to talk yeah about. me neither but i just i'll just say i'm just kind of like it wasn't in the book i'll say fucking that much you know what i mean it's it's but it's a reality you know bet- behind all of those like beautiful paintings yeah. and behind all these like True. all this uh tap you know uh regal tapestry is this uh just fucking life or death fucking sexual nightmare yeah that was like True. being a, 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 a member of the courtly in, uh, uh, machinations between yeah. kingdoms and houses back in the day. Ugly shit, right? Ugly shit, and uh, culturally, and and you know different and, places. Too. And in the book, you get a spe- you get her inner mo- you know you get her inner monologue. You get to uh-huh. like really uh, see her obstacles from her perspective, and her it makes her actions not just relate like not just understandable but relatable. You you empathize with her. You like you know really kind of you're with her on this journey and i hated how in the in the you know when the tv show started everybody hated uh sophie turner because you couldn't you didn't get that perspective all you saw was the cool sword girl who's like a tomboy who gets to like kick ass and like doesn't want oh, to be Maisie, pretty Maisie williams yeah yeah oh, and you and then you get like stupid sansa with her stupid like she doesn't even want to ride a horse uh-huh <laughs> and like you don't understand you know it's there's literally the line where it's like don't you want to sit on feather pillows with the queen and it's just like <laughs> 
Anyway, uh, but but I yeah, but still, I I really love this character. I I in the shows, in the books, um, uh, I just it's it's a character that just like everything else, so many other things get um, subverted or or change or just twisted to be more surprising and interesting. The downfall of the fairy tale princess and and the rise of the strong and like you know queen uh, in this one character is a, a fantastic. Uh, arc to get to enjoy. Fun viewing. fact about Sophie Turner: mm-hmm. uh, she had an identical twin who died, died in, the, in womb. the womb. Yeah, that's so. I, I I remember reading that. That's enough to fuck someone up. Oh yeah, she is. She's also she's been a member of the Playbox Theater Company in Warwick, where she grew up since she was three years old. The Playbox Theater was a children's theater. Their whole idea is, you know, it's it's about putting on plays and putting on productions with a predominantly young cast. I think like after twenty five, they kick you out. And she was cast in 2009 on Game of Thrones when she was just 14 years old. Another trend that makes me want to go, fuck off, is that so many of these people's like, it was their first audition ever. Well, they were child actors. Yeah, I mean, still, I'm just like, come on. Some of them were just graduating college. It's not like Charles Dance got his first gig. It's the fucking kids. (laughs) Uh, The uh, two things about about Sophie Turner is... uh, her acting teacher at the play box uh, was the one who tipped her off about the audition. And so she, uh, in order to like help gain an advantage, she actually dyed her blonde hair red just oh. for the on-tape audition. Awesome. And uh, she adopted the dog who played Lady. Nice. I love that. About her character, she says, Sansa's a badass in a very different way to Arya. She's like a sponge absorbing everything from people around her. This is around the fourth season. Cersei, Marjorie. She's put on a facade for the last year, and she's finally going to drop that and begin to manipulate some people, which she does, and I really enjoyed seeing that. Uh, Another sad thing about her and Maisie Williams, uh, for people to think about, they talk a lot about how they uh, got so much scrutiny as young teenage girls on social media, um, literally picking apart their weight, their skin tone, like their their skin, their you know, and their performance and everything. They it drove them both into depressions. They both had to seek therapy for it. I think it's just so fucking sad what people do on. Uh, I'm going. I'm waving my social media negativity flag, mm-hmm. but it's really sad how much they talked about that. And I think if you're on social media, and they were on Instagram, the good social media yeah, network. That was it, supposed to be the nice one. If you're on social media commenting on a 14 year old's weight um uh, you should probably just like stop existing i don't know just like go somewhere just like you know what you can exist but just like i don't know maybe just go somewhere without like the internet and (laughs) just sit and think about life maybe like meditate on that for a little bit and come back and talk to me later i i just i it makes me fucking furious to read shit like that so anyways um and especially because i i follow them on instagram and like i they're so much fun to follow and like i really like that i don't really follow that many celebrities on instagram but <laughs> sophie turner and Maisie williams who are also like besties and do a bunch of fun stuff who else together. was going through what they were going through. yeah uh they they are just they just seem pretty great uh Maisie williams aria stark her real name is Margaret, but was nicknamed Maisie off of the comic strip The Perishers, which I believe is just like a British comic strip. Yeah. There's a little character named Maisie, and she's always saying cute stuff. Um, she auditioned against 300 other actresses across England, and this was her first role in any professional capacity at just 13 years old. Maisie said of her character, she's the serial killer everyone's rooting for, which I completely agree with. I Ari is probably my favorite character in the show. She's such a fun... Like, how can you not like that character yeah she's just so great in the books too she's just phenomenal just such such a character to get behind uh always you know i just always love the underdog i always you know i always love that kind of situation i mean that's like the stark thing right i mean they're just straight up 
uh, underdogs. Uh, uh, her mom was able to quit her job as a university admin uh, in order to help be her manager. And uh, her main role was to be with Maisie and uh, coach her on Arya's character because at the time she was not old enough to read the books. Ah, yeah, Maisie said about the end of the show, I got to the end and I didn't want more. I had exhausted every possible piece of Arya, and this season was quite big for me. I had a lot more to do uh, since there were so few characters left. By the, <laughs> by the end, everybody's like, oh my God, I have so many lines now because they're fucking in, you know, full hour and a half long episodes and there's like what 10 characters left that people are following also with her relationship with Sophie Turner they both got matching tattoos and Maisie of course was the maid of honor at Sophie's wedding uh yeah and uh, I just think she did a phenomenal job I'm very excited for her uh to see her and Sophie Turner in uh more future stuff I'm afraid for Sophie Turner because people have just been so negative about the season finale of uh Game of Thrones and people are already being negative about this X-Men movie that hasn't even come out yet that, like, I'm just so afraid for it because it's like, oh, here you go. Here's just, like, your two big projects and everyone's going to shit on them. You know, have fun with that and go through your dark period and hopefully you'll rise out from it like a like a phoenix. Blah, blah. Like a filthy phoenix that's got, you know, that has that's married to one of the Jonas Brothers. <laughs> okay, uh, let's talk about Braun, Isaac Hempstead. George Martin said about Braun's fall. I've had a million uh, people tell me that that was the moment that hooked them, where they said, well, this Bran. is... Bran. Oh, Bronze the, uh, the sellsword. Right, right. I forget that there's two different pronunciations, <laughs> essentially, of the same fucking name in the, in the book for two different characters. Uh, I've had a million people tell me that was the moment that hooked them, where they said, well, this is just not the same story I read a million times before. Bran is the first viewpoint character. In the back of their heads, people are thinking... Bran is the hero of the story. He's young King Arthur. We're going to follow this young boy, and then boom. You don't expect something like that to happen to him. So that was successful. By the way, he totally, you know, spoiler alert, but, like, he does end up becoming, like, the boy king, so mm. it still kind of happens the way that people <laughs> were, were would predict. Um, Hempstead had no interest in acting until he joined a drama club to avoid playing football on Saturday mornings. During, Especially in, he hated it playing in the, cold in the winter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is I, ironic, I guess. Then he did one commercial, and then he got Game of Thrones. So again, fuck off with your easy career trajectory. I had to struggle for over ten years doing comedy in New York, and I'm still just like, you know what I mean? I'm still float flailing in the wind. Actually, I'm doing pretty well these days. You're, yeah, you're doing great. Uh, <laughs> this is your this is your your, your Dinklage place right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 pretty Dinkly these days. Uh, how about that? Kit Harrington as Ooh. John, as the sultry, pouty, upset Jon Snow. I love how upset Kit Harrington is as Jon Snow. It's it's really fun to watch. You know, he's a descendant of John Harrington, the inventor of the flush toilet. Ah! That's why we call toilets the John. No! Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah, he's part of a great uh, toilet family. Wow! Man, that must have been a fun uh, conversation starter uh, when he was trying to get laid back in college. <laughs> my, my, my great-grandpa invented the toilet. Uh, where, you, where are you going? Where are you going? His full name is Christopher Catsby Harrington, which yes. is the most British thing I've ever heard in my Named entire life. Named after Christopher Marlowe, uh, whose own name was shortened to Kit. He didn't even know his name was actually Christopher until he was like nine years old because he was always <laughs> called Kit. 
Uh, he nearly drowned in a swimming pool when he was very young and claimed he was seconds from death. And I bet that actually did help his performance a lot, especially as, as a dead guy, as a dead guy. Uh, <laughs> while pursuing journalism, he did theater and got a bunch of recognition in the National Theater's adaptation of War Horse, which led to him to him auditioning for Game of Thrones. Uh, he also, the night before the you audition. You can find footage of the stage adaptation of War Horse, and there's like the horse is a puppet. And it's very silly seeing a young Jon Snow being like, Go on! You can do it, horsey! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fantastic. By the way, the night before his audition, he got, oh, into, a, he got into a fight at a McDonald's, uh, which led to him getting a black eye. Harrington said, I think that man who punched me in the face may have helped me get the job. So if you're watching, thank you. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, the, one more anecdote that, you know, who knows how many of these actor anecdotes are real or how much are just made whole cloth out by a publicist. <laughs> but uh, while he was still uh, working and uh, trying to become a full-time actor, he uh, worked part-time at a bookstore and specifically claims to remember how much he hated the Game of Thrones books because they were always uh, selling well. And so he'd have to constantly be lugging these giant heavy books, having no concept of like what their cultural impact was. It's just like, oh, these fucking dumb dragon books. I'm busting my ass getting out of the basement every day. <laughs> uh, now let's also talk about who 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 can forget Rose Leslie, mm. a.k.a. Egret, uh, Jon Snow's love interest in the show uh, before, of course, that dragon lady got him into the bone zone later on. The point is he's got a he's got a knack for fire. <laughs> yes, he's got a knack for fire. Uh, Rose Leslie is a Scottish actress. She had already made a name for herself on the British drama series Downton Abbey, which actually makes me really want to watch that show now. I, I always kind <laughs> now of... Now that I found out that hot lady is a <laughs> maid or some shit. She's, uh, but she's a great actress, too. I mean, yes, she is absolutely beautiful, but she really was one of my favorite parts of the show back when she was on it, you know? And I loved their chemistry. Obviously, they have chemistry. They're married now. So, and and they definitely fell in love through the making of Game of Thrones. But yeah, I just I just always loved her performance. Her death scene, that whole battle is incredible. One of my favorite parts of the show. Um, Leslie said, if you're already attracted to someone and then they play your love interest, it becomes very easy to fall in love. Aww. Very sweet. Um, now let's talk about John Bradley, a.k.a. Samwell Tarly. Another, I, I, I feel like a broken record. Another favorite character in the show. But they're all so good. God, that finale where it's literally just everyone we like. Yeah. <laughs> and Edmure Tully. Yeah. <laughs> they even brought back the fucking the Aaron kid. Yeah, the tit sucker guy. Yeah, but he fucking glowed up. Glowed up. Oh, uh, yeah. Internet really, internet explosion on his glow up. I think it was. Very uh, like, pay, now we're moving into page seven territory. It was, if there's one thing you need to learn from Game of Thrones, it's that breast milk makes a boy strong. Yes, definitely. A couple of re references <laughs> to that. So, uh, John Bradley's first audition after drama school was Game of Thrones. So, go maybe and fuck yourself again <laughs> for that i hate reading that because it's so hard out there for everybody and every all these game of thrones actors they just waltz in like give me a job george R. martin's like yeah i will give you a job not the guy over there it's been struggling fucking ass off for five fucking years Holden, can i hear your british accent can you just say the line like uh the men of highgarden march to the north the men of hot the men of Highgold and Mots of the Earth. We'll call you back. All right. You know, you cut me off. I take, I, I take like a lesson or whatever. I'm not even trying to get the part. I'm talking about Joe English over there who has a legit good British accent. You know what I mean? The men of Highgarden, Mots to the North. 
It's right. pretty good, right? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, George R. R. Martin said, Tyrion might be who I want to be, but Sam is probably closer to who I actually am. The fat kid who likes to read books and doesn't like to go up a lot of stairs. Mm. Uh, and Samuel Tarly is, seems like a really beautiful soul. And he has a really great quote about his struggles with his weight and when he got Game of Thrones. And I feel like, actually, I have it written down, but I realize I'm probably going to get a little too, like, choked up reading it because it's so beautiful. And anyways, he does a much better job of uh, saying it himself, uh, and we can just get the audio of it. So, Mary, could you just please pl- uh, play the quote of John Bradley talking to Conan on his show uh, on Conan about um, getting the role in Game of Thrones? Yeah, as somebody who grew up overweight and kind of unhappy because of it mm-hmm. and thinking that that you know life was going to pass you by because of it and all the times where, where you just kind of go to bed and you wake up uh, you go to bed and you think oh, i'd give anything to wake up and not have this weight mm-hmm. and then suddenly all the time that you're thinking that especially when you get into when i was in kind of 19 20 to think while i was feeling that about myself um, uh, David and Dan, our producers, and everybody else connected with the show, they were looking for me. Mm-hmm. They were looking for exactly me. And, not, and it was not just a case of they're, they're going to accept all what I consider to be faults about myself, but they're going to see them as virtues. And they're going to be my key into this amazing experience and meet, meeting all these amazing people. And if I'd have known that they were looking for me, and what kind of effect that was going to have on the rest of my life, then I'd have, um, then I just wouldn't have been able to believe it. That's a shortened version of the speech. It, it ram- I rambled on and you on. You did not ramble. It was beautiful, and it was just as beautiful as what you just said right now. There you go. Yeah, really sweet stuff. Did you have you did you hear it before or do you know what I'm talking about? No, fucking don't break kayfabe. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, pull the curtain, why don't you? The wizard. Wow, what a fake ass awe! Unbelievable. <laughs> well, hopefully you'll fucking go listen to it now, okay, Jake? <laughs> was it good enough for a role in Game of Thrones? <laughs> yes, it was. Um, and then you have, since we mentioned Samuel Tarley, let's talk about really quickly about Gilly, played by Hannah Murray. She got her first break with the British teen drama series Skins, mm. which I remember being a very popular British. And I think they tried to make an American version that wasn't as good, but apparently Skins is like a really good teen drama, and it's a British show. Murray said she has a re- uh, about her performance as Gilly. She has a really interesting strength of her own that is different to the obvious strong characters in the show. She has an incredible determination to take care of the things that are important to her, like her baby and Sam. Her resilience in the face of the trauma she has experienced is very empowering. To leave such a really horrific stream dynamic of abuse where she has been indoctrinated to believe there is nothing outside of this world and the fact that she escapes from it is really remarkable. Uh, yeah, how about Tormund Giantsbane, since we're talking about wildlings? Mm. His name is Christopher Hivju. I can't, I'll never be able to pronounce it. Oh, it wasn't even that bad. His first name's Christopher. Chris, Christopher <laughs> Hivju. Uh, he is the son of Norwegian actors and has been acting on television since 2001. There's he, shots, there's like headshots of he's him. So fu- he's the f- Without the t- beard, he, oh my God, what a fucking handsome Viking man. Besides, with the beard, besides Tyrion, he ended up becoming the funniest character in the show. Probably funnier by the end than Tyrion. Every scene with him is hilarious. That fucking sucking the giant's teeth 
so- speech was so great. I, I just all of it. I he just he just went from being this like scary wildling guy to being like this hammy, ridiculous comic relief. He said about this. Uh, what I like about Tormund is that he doesn't always know that he's funny. Sometimes he's not trying to be funny. He just has another cultural background. So I love the lines where he's not intentionally trying to be funny, but it's just funny because it's Tormund. I totally agree with that. I, I love his performance. How about uh, Theon Greyjoy? Oh, my God. I was hoping you'd get to him. Alfie Allen. Uh, the son to a film producer and actor. His older sister is Lily Allen. And there is a song about him called Alfie. Have you heard it? It's in when he first was <laughs> on the show, like all the nerds, because I think it's Lily so Allen funny. has. Yeah, Lily Allen has a very like passionate fan base, especially at the time. Uh huh. And it's a fucking song about how her little brother's a piece of shit that yeah. plays video games and smokes, jerks off all day. Smokes weed all day and he's like sleeping in the middle of the afternoon. There's a music video he's, he's played by a shit. grody puppet who's just like <laughs> cranking it and like just getting high all day. I didn't see the video. I need to see the video. I listened to the song and I just started dying laughing. It's definitely listened to Further uh, insult to injury when you watch the music video. And then like the ultimate revenge is he fucking eclipses oh, the platinum-selling pop star sister who hugely. made a song about what a piece of shit you are. Totally eclipsed her. Uh, his, his He's an amazing character. He has one of the best arcs, I think, in a show in terms of you going from like feeling bad for him to fucking hating him to feeling really, really <laughs> bad for him to then like seeing him get redeemed and feeling almost proud of him. I have never felt, had so many different opinions about a character throughout a series as probably Theon Greyjoy. I, I remember doing a thing for Dorkly where it was like the Game of Thrones characters in the first season versus like the uh, last season. And it was uh, like in the first in the first season, he's like this weird, like edgy bad boy who's uh-huh. like good with a bow and arrow. And then like in the last season, yeah. he's like the guy who you your friend that you need to introduce him to other people at parties because he's too shy. Yeah, it's so fascinating. He's an incredible actor. Just absolutely amazing. Uh, you can't talk about Theon without talking about Ramsey Bolton, played by Yuan mm. Rion. Ramsey Bolton, pro- just from the books alone, probably the most terrifying villain I've ever encountered in anything. Uh, and also the show, he does a fucking great job of portraying that character that I was so mortified about when I was reading uh, reading those books. He did a lot of stage work, uh, Yuan Rion, uh, winning awards in productions such as Spring Awakening and Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, leading to a part in the TV show Misfits, which is, uh, I I wouldn't be shocked if we ended up doing some sort of an episode on that at some point. A popular comedy drama about superheroes in England. Um, I've heard it's great. I've heard it kind of goes downhill after the first two or three seasons, but it's apparently just fantastic. Uh, Oh, is it Rowan, not Rion? I think it's Rowan. Ewan Rowan. My bad. Uh, I mean, as soon as you get, like, Welsh, things are going to get fucked. Yeah. He said, I try not to bring my work home with me. The thing about Ramsey is that because he's actually happy, it's weirdly easier to play than characters that are introverted, carrying all their darkness inside. That makes it more tiring. You kind of let everything out with Ramsey, but there are the scenes you sort of dread, obviously, these horrific things he does. But it's okay. I'm quite good at detaching, <laughs> which is kind of scary. <laughs> Perfect. Um, now, uh, again, one of my favorite characters in the show, but really, this is so, this could not be more true. I love this actress. I love this character. I think. Who do you think I'm talking about? You gotta be talking about Lena Headey. Uh, nope. What? Gwendolyn Christie, Brienne oh. of Tarth. Yes. Lena Headey, though, also gonna be get, get one of those treatments when we bring her up. Uh, but yes, Brienne of Tarth. 
uh, amazed every time she's on the screen. I light up. I just I don't want to her fight with the hound. One of my favorite oh, moments brutal. in the show. Uh, just an incredible performance from an incredible actress. She started out training as a gymnast, but moved over to acting after a spinal injury. She was told at the Drama Center London, where she graduated from, that she quote, would probably never work because she didn't look the same as most actors, end quote, due to her height and even, quote, well, good luck with that, end quote, because uh, maybe some of you guys don't know, a lot of theater schools um, are full of dick-sucking assholes, <laughs> and uh, they love to just try to give you a complex about your career before you even start, because that's really fucking cool to do, you know what I mean? And by the way, um, what are you guys doing, right? Are you sitting at the school? Could you, oh, did you try? And you couldn't become one, so now you just tell women who maybe are like taller than average that they're not gonna have an. Cool, good luck with that. Have fun with that anger. Have fun with that. Uh, maybe maybe go to therapy instead of um, telling people they should quit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, this is obviously coming from a person who got kicked out of acting school. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I'm having a lot better time than those people who. Yeah. Kicked me out. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go ahead and say my life is markedly better than Hold the in. people who. Uh, the best revenge. Who kicked me out. Is a life well lived. It's a life well lived, and maybe killing. Sneak, sneak, oh, and, poison. and yeah, poison, poison, or just like ruining career. You know. Okay, so the best revenge is a life well lived, <laughs> and, and poison, poison, and poisoning people um, to death, uh, or just giving them the runs really bad for a night. Actually, <laughs> just dumb and dumbering them. Just, just, just putting like literally, just, I just the image of like just foamy, disgusting, like ground up x lax in a in a glass of red wine, and being like, "Oh, here's your here's your Bordeaux," and being like, "You clearly put stuff." No, I didn't, Mister Poo Poo. You call me Mister Poo Poo. You just call me Mister Poo Poo. You definitely did it. You definitely wouldn't do it, but you know what? I like the shit, so I'm gonna drink this with a smile on my face and. Um, that's she, a Ramsey Bolton. Yeah. <laughs> I actually like this. Like the sheets. <laughs> uh, she she performed on the stage in the 2000s, notably as the Queen in Shakespeare's Cymbeline with Tom Hiddleston, which Ooh. I bet was a fucking awesome product. I love hearing about those types of productions. You're like, damn, I wish I was you know in London during that time and caught that. That would have been awesome. She was cast as Brienne of Tarth in 2011. She drew on her experience of being bullied for her height and androgynous looks. And before the audition, even the audition itself, she started wearing unisex clothing to get into the masculine mindset. Uh, Martin says that she got the role practically without debate the second she walked out of her audition. Christie said about playing Brienne, we all started with very limited screen acting experience, and a lot of it has been a huge learning process. I had that series four, which was an absolutely amazing summer um, into winter, of working all the time and being really invested in that relationship, doing everything I could to bring it to life. Horse riding and sword fighting and all of that work, I absolutely loved it. And I think it's the closest thing I've come to trying to attempt some kind of method experience, which I thought was also interesting with a huge mainstream TV show. 100%. I just couldn't imagine anyone else being that person at this it point. It was, as someone who had read the books and then like got to watch the show, as soon as she came on screen, I was like, holy shit, it's Brienne. Mm -hmm. That's fucking, how did I, like, because, you know, I'm you think to yourself, how are they going to pull this off? Who are they going to get for this? And besides some of the writing choices in the final season, I was also just so delighted at every second in every scene of her performance, you know, mm -hmm. of 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 what they did with her character of it. she was just she just nailed it. She nailed that that toughness, that strength, and also that vulnerability that exists just behind she, at her heart, she's a fucking Renly fan girl that yeah. loves his fucking uwu cute face. Yeah, yeah, totally. So um uh, now we can talk about Lena Headey. 
a.k.a. Cersei Lannister. Oh, so wonderful. Is it Heedy or Headley? I, I don't I don't fucking know anymore. Um, I, I'm dying. I've done. There's too many names and there's too many people to talk about, but we're going to get through it. <laughs> Uh, she performed. I'm, I'm in awe of your your physical, uh, your physicality. Oh my god, man! Uh, she performed a school show at the age of 17 at the Royal National Theater and was picked up by a casting agent from there again, yet again. First place she did, like just what? How? I should I have just grown up in London? Is that how it works? You just immediately on like the well, Royal National Theater and then just immediately on Game of Thrones? If your dream was to become a precocious young actor, yeah, yeah. She got a part in the mystery drama film Waterland, which led to a slew of film work, the first notable one being Terry Gilliam's The Brothers Grimm. It was actually Peter Dinklage, who was a friend of hers, who suggested her to producers for Cersei. Heedy said, There's nothing more exciting for an actor than a chance to lose, to be someone who has lost, especially if it's someone who starts off with a veneer of control. To be broken is wonderful. Of course, who can forget her naked... March through the city. One of the one of the more um, fantastic performances oh, she's given. Absolutely incredible. The, Great moment in the book as well. The like even with everything terrible that she's done, and you kind of believe her when she says like this is to protect my family. Uh, it's season five that culminates in the March of Shame. Yeah, where like no matter how much how much you hated her as a character, as just like this villain against the Starks who you by default support. Like just watching in real time as someone like loses control of their social circle as like, cause we've all been there. We've all like watched in real time as like someone starts a rumor or, you know, you fuck up at a party or just, just that, that horrible pit in your stomach feeling where you're like, shit, I'm losing my grip here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And she, she sips wine and says devastating things. She really is amazing. This like borderline sociopathic, uh, performance, you just buy it. You buy her. You you are well, afraid no, of her. That's they were imagining her. They were imagining her as sociopathic, but she brought a lot of like quivering vulnerability too. Sure, a lot of the you you get it as you you get. She brings that mother that motherly um, defensive nature. Mama that, bear. Yeah, yeah, that warmth that she has only for her immediate family. You you really do. She really does. And bring by that immediate to the role. family, we mean very very immediate, immediate family. <laughs> Jamie Lannister, let's talk about him. Nikolaj Coster Waldau. Never had to say that. Yeah, I think he was the hardest name to say. He grew up in Denmark in a rough home with an alcoholic father. Uh, his stage debut was Laertes. And that's tough in Denmark because like, yeah. if you're an alcoholic, it's all on stuff like like swizzleberry schnapps yeah. and like, oh, yeah. parfaits. Schnoopin, yeah, <laughs> uh, schnapps and uh, schnifty schnapps. <laughs> yeah. It's just, all schnapps. It's just awful schnapps. Like you smell a candy cane and you're like, oh no, someone's going to get beat. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, His stage debut was as Laertes in Hamlet at the Betty Nansen Theater. Coster Waldo said, my first... U.S. movie was Black Hawk Down, and a friend helped me put myself on tape up in the attic over my apartment in Copenhagen. We shipped it out, and I got lucky. How crazy is that? Uh, he also said, there's something liberating about watching someone not following the rules, and I think we all have the capacity of evil in Ah, uh, yes, the rules, like, don't push children out of windows, <laughs> and don't rape your sister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all those rules. 
Um, how about Joffrey Lannister? One of, I think he gets a lot of internet. He was praise. cast real early. Yeah, he he's beloved by the internet. How just how badly <laughs> they he got the world to hate him and think he was a total piece of shit. Played by Jack Gleason, who grew up in Dublin, Ireland, where he did children's theater. He first began acting at eight and performed as a little boy in Batman Begins. It's that it almost ruins the movie. Yeah, to see him. Yeah, you're just like, what? What's Joffrey doing? <laughs> little Joffrey. He actually used Joaquin Phoenix's performance in Gladiator as an influence for Joffrey, which makes a ton of sense to me. And again, a great villain character in that film uh, played by Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, Gleason said, I think audiences will always like bad guys who kill for no apparent reason. We just like to hate them. He, quote-unquote, retired from acting um, once the show was done. He wanted to pursue academic work, but he, uh, much like other people, much like uh, Benioff did, I believe it was, he found that uh, being an academic actually was really boring and shitty, so he ended up actually founding a theater company where he performed in their first productions, and they were children's plays, hilariously enough. this I, I can't wait for them to grow up and be like, I remember that. That was the talking clock. From, <laughs> oh, my God. What's he doing with that boar's head? Yeah, yeah. Um, Aiden Gillen as Littlefinger performed as a kid in A Midsummer Night's Dream at the Dublin Youth Theater and then started off in the TV series Queer as Folk, which led to him being cast in The Wire. Fantastic. The politician in The Wire. I love his character in The Wire. Also, again, like I said, season three is probably my favorite season of The Wire. And uh, if you don't know what The Wire is all about, it essentially adds a layer of the whole social situation when it comes to the world of crime. So the first one's just the cops. It's called Baltimore. It's not called yeah. the world of crime. Well, but you know what? What uh, like uh, crime in any town? Essentially, you know, it starts off with just the cops and the criminals. Season two, it's like the docks and importing and and uh, the trafficking. Season three, they had politics, and he's this. I believe he's a mayor, the mayor or governor or something. But anyways, he's like this corrupt politician. He play. He does a really good job. He's really good at playing that kind of sneaky sneak type, e like mm. low key evil, but with a smile on his face type character. To this, he says, I hope it's not all I'll ever do, but I know I've played enigmatic characters. For me, the good characters are people who get places, uh, are devious, are cunning and tricky and hard to pin down. Obviously, if you play one and you do an okay job, that'll be on people's minds. He does tend to play that sort of character. Liam Cunningham as Sir Davos. Hi. <laughs> Welcome back. I keep my fingers in a pouch. Welcome back, Onion Knight. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Really? I've... I mean, I was I made it to the end. <laughs> That's true. I, I even I, got a witty line. I was like, uh, I, I don't know if I get a vote, but I say aye. I think we're where uh, Joffrey, Lan a.k.a. Jack Gleason, um, Joffrey Lannister, he like the Internet loves to hate him. The Internet loves to love the Onion Knight. I, too, absolutely adore the Onion Knight. He's fantastic in the books. Um, and Liam Cunningham, all I wrote about Liam Cunningham, and I believe you said you had a better anecdote, Liam, but uh, all I said was that he is literally the Leslie Nielsen of the cast. He's done fucking so much fucking television and film since 1992. It's, like, absurd. But, like, nothing really stands out. You know what I mean? He's just been in, he just said no to nothing, it's, it seems like, and has been in everything. I worked as an electrician in Dublin. Okay. And, uh, you know, just everyday handyman stuff. And then I ended up in Zimbabwe. Ah. Where I helped in uh, place high voltage railings, electrocuted myself two times. Wow. Like, that's a good anecdote. Yeah. <laughs> then uh, when I moved back to Ireland, I just uh, decided to take up community theater as a way to fill nights and weekends. Oh, okay. And now I deliver jaunty advice to much more attractive <laughs> younger people. <laughs> 
you may rule with a crown, but it's what's inside the crown what rules you. Uh, I love that way you said it. Can you just say it one more time? Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe. <laughs> <laughs> you got to go. Zimbabwe. <laughs> um, oh, my God. Let's talk about the beautiful, the cunning, the phenomenal, in my opinion, Natalie Dormer as Marjorie Tyrell. The smile that launched a thousand fetishes. <laughs> um, she is a part Norwegian, a part Welsh descent. She got cast in the film Casanova, and the director found her so funny, he had the writer expand her part. Dormer said, I'm interested in playing women who feel real, who are fighting for something, or desire something, or are scared, as all real women are. Of, uh, or let's not make it a gender thing, as all human beings are. Uh, she's fantastic. I, I don't know what else I can say about her. I don't have any other great anecdotes besides she's beautiful, but that's that that's not the half of it. I think she's just a wonderfully talented actress as well, and I loved her portrayal as that character, and I love seeing her put Cersei on her toes. Mm. was very fun. She did a great job of selling that to, to audiences, I think. Uh, all right, another beautiful actress who does, uh, uh, I would say, a pretty solid job on the show, especially, I mean... Honestly, she sells the the heel turn despite and in, in, in certain ways, despite the bad writing she in in the final episodes. It, there's literally the only thing that sells Best that season ever. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that sells that I think is is her because she has no words to say facial expressions and you know and that that's the only saving grace to to that heel turn uh of course we're talking about amelia clark as daenerys targaryen now amelia clark wanted to be an actress since the ripe age of three and uh you know her father worked as a tech uh after being a roadie and then had to settle down because he had a family uh-huh. and uh she saw a production of showboat that just gave her this beautiful image of the of the the life and the glamour of the stage and so she wanted to be an actress. Uh, she uh, grew up as in uh, going to boarding schools, even though she came from a middle-class rural background. But uh, amongst her posh kind of uh, higher-class classmates, she always felt a little out of sync. She always felt like, you know, the artsy kid, the creative kid. Meanwhile, these were people that were from, you know, the same age she wanted to be an actress. These were people that were, like, wanted to be tennis stars and lawyers. But she never gave up her dream. And so she applied to three drama schools, and they all Turned her down. Okay. So she took a year off and backpacked around the country, uh, around the world. And uh, she worked as a waitress. And then she decided, you know what? I can't give up. I'm going to apply to three more drama schools. And they also turned her down. (laughs) And it wasn't until she got a call from the London Drama Center, the same place that uh, took uh, Brienne. Gwendolyn? Yeah, Gwendolyn Christie. And they informed her that she was that her audition. Her knees were too knobby, and that she would never get a job in in film uh, or television. That uh, she didn't, she wouldn't have made it otherwise. But they were they made pains to inform her that someone else uh, broke their leg, and therefore there was an opening, and she wanted to get in. That's ridiculous. Um, she said about her role, uh, one of the many things I love about Daenerys from Game of Thrones is she's given me an opportunity to fly the flag for young girls and women to be more than just somebody's wife and somebody's girlfriend. How unfortunate that she also became for a lot of people, the oh, the woman goes crazy trope, <laughs> la, 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 which I kind of get, but I also don't get. Um, by the way, 
All right, that's the end of my cast coverage, by the oh, way. Oh, wait. Uh, so if you oh, have more, I know there's uh, more. More things about Amelia Clark is yeah, yeah. Uh, she uh, had a bunch of bit roles. Uh, she ended up uh, in a TV movie called Triassic Attack, which was a terrible Jurassic Park ripoff, huh. kind of a Sharknado thing. Um, she worked as a telemarketer to make ends meet. Jeez, uh, that's the worst. She finally got the role of Daenerys Targaryen after... The previous actress who got the role, a woman named Tamsin Merchant, uh, had to bail because she had better movies to do. And uh, at her audition, she like gave, you know, uh, they flew her over because they couldn't believe that this like this this short, you know, this dark haired short actress was going to play, you know, had the fire of this, you know, uh, deemed by birth six foot tall platinum blonde queen of queens. They were like, Benny and Weiss were like, we're flying you over. We got to see this in real life. Because like we think you you can do it, and uh, she did her she did her sides. Is that what it's called in an audition? Yeah, she did her sides. The room was quiet. She was like, I don't know what else to do. And uh, David Benioff was like, How about you dance for us? Because Benioff is a cool guy. <laughs> and she ended up doing the funky chicken for the production staff. <laughs> uh, she then dated Seth MacFarlane for a little bit, which is super weird. Weird. And then she got cast in a bunch of movies that didn't quite die. Uh, oh, Kit Harrington also. It's like, uh, yeah, that was it. Uh, Terminator Genesis and uh, the the uh, the Pompeii movie. Like, so far, there's been like a weird pall over the Game of Thrones actors. That's so funny. Whoever, who will be the one to yeah. break through? That's what we I need to hope know. to see it. It's tough. It's going to be really hard for especially the ones that were there the entire time it's going to be hard for them to escape these characters they've played now for a decade especially because they you know this the the practice now is to hire unknowns so that they get defined by these roles exactly so uh big shout outs by the way to nina gold and robert stern as the primary casting directors for game of thrones they really deserve all the medals in the world they did a fucking incredible job casting this series so shout outs to them let's just close out here on this epic Game of Thrones series uh, on just those moments that we really loved that really defined the show and made it so great. We've already mentioned quite a few of them already. Ned Stark's beheading. Um, We've mentioned uh, uh, pushing Bronn out the window. Those are the more season one things. Uh, Definitely, we have to mention the Red Wedding. Uh, Weiss said... Uh, about all of this when it came to Michelle leaving the show, uh, Catelyn Stark. We tried to call Michelle afterwards. She wasn't answering. A week later, she wrote an email saying, sorry, I haven't been able to talk to anybody because I've been so shattered. Fairly said, we were mentally exhausted after the shooting. I cried my eyes out completely, as did a lot of the crew and other actors. It was very emotional. The rap party was was that night. But I had to start filming another job the next day, so I washed my blood off and got on a plane. Man, brutal. I got, I had the good fortune. I think I mentioned this last week, but I'll bring it up again. I had the good fortune of being in a room full of people, all who had read the books, except for one person who had not read the books and had no idea what was about to happen. All of us were literally like bracing ourselves when it happened. Of course, they upped the ante in certain ways when it came to how they filmed it based on, you know, as opposed to how they described it, especially with the stabbing of the pregnant stomach. It's the main rough, rough <laughs> addition. And man, we were all just, I just remember the, I, I can remember it like it was yesterday, like the way the internet reacted, watching those reaction videos uh, for people. I bet that was a big, uh, I bet that had a lot to thank for reaction videos in general, just because that, that was the first time I remember really watching a video of someone like reacting to a thing happening to the, at them for the first time. You know, I can't remember if that was the age where the YouTube algorithm like would put 
where the react video was king yeah because that was just like a, a way to like spoof the algorithm was you found a popular video and then you would post something beneath it called reaction to this video right and you'd be like because you're an idiot you'd be like i want to see a reaction to this yeah. video. <laughs> i wanted uh, a moment that I really loved was uh, the the pilot. The pilot is really yeah, exquisitely done. Pilot's great, and especially uh, King Robert's arrival at Winterfell because the ah. way that the score and the train and everything it kind of revolves around this kingly presence, this royal presence, and then when Robert is revealed as just this fat drunk yeah. oaf, it yeah. like really like makes you realize that like the fairy tale is broken. Yes. That something is not right. Yes. All is not well in the state of Denmark. We're, we're not safe yeah. in this world. No one is. Uh, Blackwater, I think I mentioned that oh, one yesterday. That, that first wildfire explosion. <sighs> just Fantastic. That, that green fire is just, it burned in my mind. That whole, that whole episode, brilliantly shot. Uh, I wish they had taken notes on this last season's big battle because it's just, it, feel, it felt like a real masterstroke. Um, and it felt like something I had never seen on television before. George R. R. Martin, of course, wrote the episode. Um, it, it was incredibly filmed. I forgot the director's name. I mentioned him last week, though. But either way, it, that's the director they brought in for the big battle episodes in the earlier seasons. It, it just really was a triumph of. I of know television. how you feel about hot takes. I understand we're an anti. We're going to an anti hot take. Can I do a hot take? The kind of thing where sure, I don't anti fa. I guess we can. <laughs> what? <laughs> No. <laughs> Anarchism doesn't work. <laughs> Who's going to fucking make ice cream? I just wanted to call you that. It'd be so stupid sounding. <laughs> Where's your gas mask? I, d- I think incremental electoralism is a nice way to make reforms. <laughs> Plus, they said I I stink too bad. Wow, really? Antifa said that? Yeah, they were like, put on the patchouli, and I was like, I don't want it. <laughs> anyway. What's your Blackwater hot take? Is, uh, the, what made Blackwater so special is that it kind of uh, put aside the spectacle of warfare that yeah. we saw in like uh, Lord of the Rings. 100%. And kind of focused on the brutality, whereas in later seasons, yeah. what they did was they focused on the spectacle of brutality. Yeah. Mm. Mm, I like, I like, Papa like that hot take. Now, if you'll excuse me, I got to throw this Molotov cocktail at a cop for unrelated reasons. Another big action moment. Yeah, okay, for, okay, yes, I smashed the Starbucks window, but that was because I slipped <laughs> on a banana peel and it caught on my multi-tool that I keep on my belt buckle. Do you, th- do you think you could hack off my, uh, hack out my uh, credit card debt? Think you could figure that out? Is that Antifa? Oh, yeah. Oh, then no. <laughs> um, the only way you can get rid of our credit card debt is by going to patreon.com slash <laughs> Um, Another big action moment that I loved, uh, or a big explosive moment using the green stuff, Cersei's bombing of the Sept. Uh, I thought that was fantastic. Oh, so the entire, yeah, the the from the low point of season five to her, her redemption in season six, Everything from the Sept of Baelorix, like from her coup, from her brilliant like coup de grace to the death of Tommen to yeah, everything, it just it. was like Perfect. operatic. Perfect. It was wonderful. It was fantastic. Hold the door, Jake. Hold the door. How? What? T- uh, talk me through your because I felt so stupid uh-huh. and then so like jazzed at yeah. the same time. I was breath was taken out for me. I was just I oh I was like they did it again, man. They just gave us, I can't believe they did it again. They just did some 
surprising shit that just wrapped all up well and was so smart and so sad and tragic and what a beautiful man that character I, I my heart goes out to hodor probably more than any other character we didn't even talk about him in the in the in the actors section he but. was an irish dj and he got lucky because yes, he, he looked he was. big yeah yeah he was he was a big irish dj dude oh this is i don't know if this was one of those scenes we talked about in the last episode where they were just short on time and had to film a bunch of like quiet character moments but uh, the scene where Cersei uh, confronts Littlefinger in the court of the Red Keep, and she just and he's like, "You don't understand. Power is like secrets, and power is money, and power is all this." And she just immediately like just stops and like looks to one of her guards and is like, "Oh hey, cut this man's throat!" And they just immediately like as a force just tackle him and like hold him up against the wall and have the knife to his throat. And she's like, "No wait, change. I changed my mind. Now everyone turn around, take three paces forward." And like she just leans in close to Littlefinger and is like. No, you fool. Power is power. <laughs> like, oh, brilliant. <laughs> um, uh, another shout out to a, a moment I really loved, or, or actually more a relationship I really loved. In the books and in the movie, it was just so wonderfully done, was the relationship between Arya and uh, the Hound. Mm-hmm. I love that actor. Rory McCann is the actor's name, Scottish actor. He's fantastic. I, I absolutely adored their whole He's like situation. in love, actually, right? He's like I think so, yeah. he's he, You can tell off screen he's like such a sweetheart, you know what I mean? But he plays such a great asshole character in the show. And their chemistry and relationship and everything. Of course, the fight with Brienne we mentioned as a highlight. Um, and then uh, lastly, the uh, Mountain versus the Vi- Viper. Oh, you're that. talking about Bjorn Hafthor or yeah, whatever his name is? with that fucking eye pop. Woo! Literally every scene where Gregor Clegane uh Mushes a human skull like it was so much silly putty. It was good. <laughs> um, you never get used to it. You're always just like, ooh. <laughs> um, also, God, I want to. I keep remembering actors I didn't quite cover, but um, who's Daenerys' protector? Um, Ian Glenn, Sir, Sir Jorah Mormont. Yeah, yeah. We didn't even talk about him. He's phenomenal in the show. He was in Gorillas in the Mist. It's very. Every time you see him, Charles dances in the Spice Girls movie. It's <laughs> yeah, all these, it's so all these wild. British actors. Uh, we didn't talk about Cal Drogo, Jason Momoa, phenomenal. I mean, he he's you know just season one. It's short. You know, rewatch now that Jason Momoa is like a big star. Like yeah. it is very weird seeing him just Funny. shirtless, being like. He's somebody who really rose uh, highly. Uh, That's after, after the guy the who didn't speak a word of yeah. English is the one guy who escaped the curse. Yeah, who escaped the curse. It's crazy. But anyways, he's of course, everyone loves Jason Momoa. Go to page seven to learn more about Jason Momoa. Um, thank you, everybody. I think that about covers it. Uh, Game of Thrones. I know that people, a lot of people are out there upset about how the sh- where the show went. I felt uh, I felt fine about the ending. It's not like I, I wasn't like crying or anything. I wasn't. I I, I was just I, honestly by that point I was just so glad they just slid it. You know they coasted into the uh, across the finish line, and, and I was like, great. I'm glad this is done so people can stop hating on this as soon as humanly possible because it's making my heart sad. Um, but I did think they did a pretty good job on that final episode, and I also agree with a lot of people, and we covered why I think that it was so rushed. And at the end of the day, I think they were just fucking exhausted. Mm-hmm. And it's sad that in hindsight, I almost wish they were able to just take a couple years off, let Martin finish Winds of Winter, continue adapting, because I think that's what they were really, that's their strength, not creating new material. It is what it is. You know? I'm trying actively to find a nice butter zone where, like, I'm you know, fuck you for signing petitions. Fuck you for, like, I trying like to that. change time. Like, 
I These, hate, this I, is the work of thousands of people. You know, the costumers. Yeah, it's so insulting. But also to be a little bit disappointed because stories matter, writing yeah, matters. Totally. And the choices you make, you give characters in fictional worlds uh, reflect your values and reflect the morals you're putting out into the world. Uh, even when you think you're not. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, I'm a little disappointed, but like, I'm not going to fucking ruin a dinner party over it. Yeah, that's how I feel. Yeah. That's definitely how I feel. Well, thank you again, everyone, for uh, listening. If you'd like to support us further, check out patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. For just five bucks a month, we do an episode of bonus material every week. And we yes, we have been talking about Game of, Game of Thrones lately in our bonus content. Uh, you can also follow me on twitch.tv forward slash holdenatorsho. You can follow me on Twitter at Best Jake Young. And hey, always remember, keep on bruising. And never stop whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Price drop? Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.